Good afternoon. St. Olaf College is honored to host U.S. Senator Amy Klobuchar and today's forum on climate change. As the wind turbine located just west of this building symbolizes, St. Olaf has a long tradition of embracing environmental stewardship and of coming together as a community to advance campus sustainability. Our faculty and our students are involved in research and educational initiatives that transcend the borders of the campus and hold the power to change people's thinking, to compel action in preserving, protecting, and sustaining our environment. It's therefore highly appropriate that we gather here this afternoon for a discussion of the topic of climate change. And it's my privilege to welcome Senator Klobuchar and to introduce our other panelists. In her first term as the junior U.S. Senator from Minnesota, Senator Klobuchar has already earned a reputation among colleagues as a leader on environmental policy issues. As a member of the Environment, Agriculture, and Commerce Committee, she's been outspoken on matters relating to climate change. As just one indication of her leadership on the environment in the U.S. Senate, she's a sponsor of the bipartisan America's Climate Security Act, which would introduce a system of market-based incentives to reduce greenhouse emissions by 70 percent by 2050. Senator, we're pleased to have you with us today. I'd also like to introduce uh, Robert Jacobel. Bob Jacobel, professor of physics and holder of the Grace A. Whittier Endowed Chair. Bob is an internationally respected expert on the geophysics of glaciers and ice sheets, and his research focuses on questions about the response of ice masses to climate change. To my knowledge, he's the only liberal arts college professor to have a glacier named after him. Also participating this afternoon are Christian Balzer, a senior and biology major from Weinheim, Germany, Kate Huber, a junior from Northfield, who is pursuing an individualized major in ecologically sustainable community design, and Alexa Tennyson, a senior from Shorewood, Minnesota, an American Studies and Psychology major. Senator Klobuchar. Well, thank you, everyone. It is so great to be here on this wonderful day with so many people turning out on a Saturday. I have to tell you, I woke up at 3 in the morning Minnesota time in South Carolina, uh, where I was at a political event in uh, Representative Clyburn's fish fry that I intended, attended until midnight. Um, and so, but I am ready to go, and I wouldn't have missed this uh, for anything. And I want to thank President Anderson for that uh, kind introduction and all of you for coming out today. St. Olaf is near and dear to my heart. My best friend from kindergarten, Amy Sherber, went to St. Olaf. She's now one of the most premier bakers in the country. She's out of New York City, and I know she's come back here a few times for career day and other things and spoken about her work. And so I visited her a lot when I was in college and would come back and uh, so I've spent a lot of time here. I, all I remember is eating onion rings at some plate. What was that? Yeah, Dino's onion rings. I remember that. Um, but we're here today uh, to talk about something that's really more headed into the future than the past, and that's the work uh, that we must do uh, on climate change and global warming. And I was reminded, uh, actually, by Christian, uh, that he and some of the other students were out with a group of college students a few 
uh, months ago and came to visit me in the Hart Building about climate change. And this is an issue, I have to tell you, where the students have been way ahead of Washington. And they came to the Hart Building and they were yelling on all the floors. And I think I was one of the only senators there. It was on a Monday. And so I went down there and met with them. We did this raw and I put the helmet on and we were all chanting. And I thought, wow, I wonder why not many groups do this. It's so effective. Everyone was coming out of the office and looking. And then I saw the police. And I realized as we were leading this chant that we were almost going to be in jail, Christian and me, but luckily that, that didn't happen. Um, uh, but anyway, the reason I think that the students have been so out front on this is because you all see that you're going to inherit this world uh, and you're going to be there when some of us are gone and have to deal with these problems if we don't do anything about it. And that's why I see climate change as one of the most pressing challenges uh, that we must deal with uh, in this country today. I also believe that it's possible uh, to do something about it. I guess I'm an optimist. I believe in science. I come from Minnesota where we brought everyone, uh, everything from the post-it note to the pacemaker. And I see this challenge of global warming and the energy crisis that we're currently in as really our, our next big challenge. Uh, this country has never shied away from these kinds of challenges. We've always been willing to take leadership. Uh, in fact, meeting challenges is what this country does best. And I'll just give you one example. I think it happened long before some of the students were born. Uh, but when the space race happened, uh, when the Soviets launched Sputnik in October of 1957, the people in our country uh, listened with indignation as fear when we always thought we were the best and the Soviets put a uh, Soviet satellite, a man-made satellite, uh, that beeped its way around the Earth. And yet, they didn't just sit on their hands and say, oh, we can't do anything about it, it's new. Uh, it inspired the nation and its universities to make an historic investment in math and science education. Within a decade, our country tripled the number of science and engineering PhDs. And you see, the space program wasn't just a success because we put a man on the moon before Russia. Uh, it was a success, and I want you to think about this in terms of how we approach climate change. It was a success because it spurred countless other innovations and in industries such as weather satellites, things that you guys just take for granted now, solar technology, digital wristwatches, ultrasound machines, laser surgery, infrared medical thermometers, programmable pacemakers, satellite TV broadcasts, high-density batteries, high-speed long-distance phone service, automatic insulin pumps, CAT scans, radiation-blocking sunglasses, GPS devices, and finally, the chocolate space sticks, uh, these little chocolate candies. See, that the people who have been around a while know what I'm talking about, that my family in the 1970s would bring on camping trips. Uh, that's what happened when our country got its act together and came together, uh, and the president showed leadership, and we said, we're going to do this, and not just that we got the man on the moon, we developed technologies and jobs because of it. I will say that here at St. Olaf, uh, you are already taking important steps in the right direction. As the President mentioned, uh, you've installed a big wind turbine, I saw it uh, when I came in, that generates about a third of your college's energy needs. In January, you convened a two-day Focus the Nation teach-in devoted to civic engagement and global warming. Uh, this fall, your new science complex will open, and it's being built according to energy-efficient, sustainable principles and should qualify for a platinum rating green building standards. It's not only good for the environment, but it's also good, as you see how expensive college is these days at any college around Minnesota. It's good because it saves money. 
Uh, finally, you have a top quality environmental studies program, and I must not forget to mention that one of your professors who's up here today, uh, Professor Jacobo, has a glacier on the Antarctic named after him. Okay, I don't have that. That's pretty cool to have a glacier named after you uh, in recognition of his field research there on the Antarctic ice sheet and the impact of climate change. So you have done a lot here at St. Olaf, and that's why we chose to come here uh, to talk more about this. I will tell you that the debate in Washington over climate change has shifted. Uh, the last few years it's been uh, before this new Congress came in, I'd say maybe go five, ten years back, there was just a lot of fighting over whether climate change exists. And now we're no longer debating whether it exists because we believe the science. Uh, we're talking about solutions and how to solve it. Uh, when I first started talking about this issue, the only people that would come up and talk to me about it were little kids uh, about my daughter's age, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, with penguin buttons on, because uh, they'd be hearing about it at school and they were worrying about the penguins and the polar bears. Well, just in the last year or two, I've had hunters from Hibbing come up uh, worried about the effect that it has on their wetlands. Uh, we've seen people who ice fish on Leech Lake uh, concerned about how long it was before they could put their fish houses out. Uh, and we even have business leaders in Duluth that are very worried because Lake Superior is at its lowest level in 80 years last year. And you think that doesn't make sense when you hear about the ocean levels rising because of climate change. Well, actually, what's happening on our lakes is that the water, the ice is melting quicker, and so the water evaporates, and so the ocean, the, the lake level is down. And in fact, it's had a very detrimental effect on the economy with barge traffic because they can't get as many barges in. So even in Minnesota, we're seeing it all over the place uh, in terms of the effect uh, that it's had. These are our ice fishermen. They came up a little late. <laughs> the grumpy old man. My favorite town to visit is Wabasha, where they have a big sign that says, Wabasha, home of grumpy old men, <laughs> because it was filmed there. Um, the, uh, I think everyone in this room knows about the science. Study after study demonstrates that global warming is real and that's affecting us now. Uh, its impacts can already have been seen in the shifting rain and snow patterns and the increased drought, uh, the severity of some of the wildfires we're seeing in places like California, uh, rising sea levels, and as I mentioned, declining lake levels, melting glaciers, and the spread of diseases. Just to put it in some simple terms, uh, the temperatures in the last century are up about one degree, and that doesn't sound very much, uh, but when you put it in perspective, they're up only five degrees since the height of the ice age. And according to EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, estimates they will be up three to seven degrees in the next 100 years. And so you can see the effect has had since 1979. We've lost more than 20% of the polar ice cap. Uh, last summer, I actually went to Greenland, uh, then visited there with a number of senators, a bipartisan trip, a fact-finding trip to see what was happening there. And we have some, actually some video of that trip. Um, it was kind of cold, so it was hard to talk. But it was in the middle of uh, the uh, summer that we went to Greenland, and you could just see this, uh, the spigots of water coming off these icebergs. So we'll let you, hopefully this will work. You can see we took off the Amy's trip to Greenland that we use for the elementary school groups. But you can see here we're, uh, we're in a plane coming in. And they have so much less ice and cold that they now have nonstop flights from Dulles to Greenland. 
you see here it's literally a river of ice and it's the ice fjord uh, coming in from the ocean uh, going into the heart of Greenland. Actually 85% of Greenland is covered by ice, most of it an ice sheet. What we have here is actually an ice fjord and there's water underneath it. Now one of the remarkable things is that while Greenland is about three times the size of Texas, in just the last few decades they've seen an unprecedented amount of this ice melt to the point where the size of Texas has melted and land the size of Arizona has melted. And when you look closely at this ice river, uh, you will see that this isn't just some flat, thin sheet of ice like you'd see over a, a Minnesota lake that you might go ice fishing on. Uh, this, this is incredibly deep ice. It's literally mountains of ice, jagged ice. And you can imagine the effect that it has on the sea level when this melts. If you see where our helicopter is parked right here, uh, believe it or not, just 10 years ago, uh, this was covered by ice, this area. And uh, what should have been just a small amount that melted, in fact, hills and hills of ice have melted. And that's why we're starting to see a rise in the sea levels. Uh, you know the science on global warming. We've basically seen a one degree increase in the world's temperatures in just the last hundred years. It doesn't sound like much, but when you see it in a historical light, it is a lot. Uh, since the ice age, the temperature's only gone up five degrees, and in fact, they project that in the next hundred years, EPA projects we'll see a five to eight degree increase in our temperatures. The locals here in Greenland, and there are locals, there's about 57,000 people that live here, they talk to us about how quickly they've seen the changes in their everyday lives. Uh, what was maybe once an ice sheet is now a place where they're growing potatoes. And while it's great for them, uh, they are very concerned about the effect this is having on the entire world with potential flooding, uh, stronger hurricanes, and the kind of changes we're seeing in our world. What is beautiful about Greenland, of course, is that you have this rugged area, and I can tell you that right now it is light here almost 24 hours. There's about two hours where it turns slightly dark, but not very dark. And then you have from November to December, there is no sun at all. So it's a place of extremes, and we're fortunate to be here at one of the warmest times of the year. Uh, there are, of course, uh, animals uh, in the Greenland area. Uh, there is a lot of, uh, of uh, seals and polar bears and, um, and all kinds of fish. Uh, they serve uh, halibut, uh, which we liked a lot, but then they also serve reindeer, or we could call it caribou. They call it reindeer. Uh, and they also serve musk ox, which is a large animal. We've seen a number of their heads on walls. Uh, it looks kind of like a buffalo with sort of walrus-like horns. Uh, so you have an uh, uh, a interesting culture here that's been pretty much untouched. Uh, I can tell you this, we've never seen a McDonald's. We've never seen a lot of influence of uh, chain restaurants or chain stores. Uh, it, is a, it is an untouched land here, and it is a wonderful place to visit. This is on a boat, which the, the, the captain enjoyed hitting the icebergs. And if you fall in, you die in... 60 seconds. So. And it's a beautiful day in Greenland. We are, we are uh, traveling through many icebergs. Somehow the other team got a little bigger boat. But we're having a lot of fun out here. And one of the scary things is we're going over icebergs. So we're trying not to sing that song from the Titanic. But other than that, we're having a good time. And you can see that there are uh, 
scientist that was with us on that trip talked about how Greenland, just like the Antarctic, is considered the canary in the coal mine for climate change uh, because it is the one place where you can see firsthand with your own eyes in real time uh, what's happening as this water just pours off these humongous icebergs uh, like spigots. So what have we been doing in Washington? Well, I will tell you first that the states uh, have been showing more leadership uh, in the last decade than Washington. As we've been stuck in this endless debate, which is finally now focused on solutions, uh, the states have been ahead of their time. Uh, whether it's regional groups uh, like in the southern part of the United States with Arizona and California and the southwestern part, or whether it is the New Jersey, New York work, or whether it is states like Minnesota, uh, which has put in one of the most aggressive standards in the country for renewable electricity, something like 25% by the year 2025. And there's an old court case uh, with an opinion written by a Supreme Court justice named Justice Brandeis. And he always talked about how the states could be the laboratories of democracy and how one state could show courage and be used as basically a laboratory to show how ideas and experiments can develop. Now, when he wrote that, I don't think he ever thought that that meant inaction by the federal government. But sadly, that's what's been going on to the point that we now have 30-some states that have formed their own climate registry uh, to try to start putting in uh, some of their own reforms because the federal government has failed to act. Well, we do have an opportunity, and it's coming right up, uh, when we debate the Warner-Lieberman bill in June. Uh, that is a bipartisan bill uh, supported by uh, the, basically the Democrats on our environmental committee as well as Senator Warner, who's a well-regarded Republican senator from Virginia, uh, as well as Senator Lieberman, who's an independent senator. Uh, we have eight or probably eight, seven or eight other uh, Republican votes on the bill, and so it's unclear uh, what's going to happen in the Senate. You need 60 votes to, build, to basically stop a filibuster from the other side. Uh, but I think even if we don't pass the bill, that this debate is very necessary to have in this country as we go into next year, uh, when I am almost certain we're going to pass some kind of climate change legislation because of the fact that we have three presidential candidates that are supportive of passing climate change legislation. Uh, the other things that we've been doing in the Senate, and just to explain, I should go back a second, how the Warner-Lieberman bill works. It provides a cap on... Uh, uh, greenhouse gas emissions, as was mentioned, to try to get it at about a 70% reduction by the year 2050, gradually getting up to that point, and then allows uh, companies and businesses uh, to basically trade credits. They're first given credits and then they buy credits through an auction uh, for the right to emit carbon dioxide. And this has been very successful with acid rain. Again, when you guys were really little, we did this with acid rain and sulfur dioxide. It worked very well in our country. Uh, the European Union has done this for climate change. They made a few mistakes at the beginning with how they priced the credits, and they've learned from that, and we've learned from that. Uh, but it is clearly the momentum is behind putting something like that, a market-based approach in place, and actually putting a cap on carbon dioxide emissions. 
Um, and as you can see, the longer we wait, the more we go. Since these, these emissions were created in before you guys were born in the 50s and 60s and 70s, and they just hang around in the atmosphere. So just waiting and waiting and waiting is really going to make it worse. Other things that have been going on in the energy bill for the first time uh, since I was in junior high, we passed an increase to the gas mileage standards. And, you know, this is not only good for the environment, it's really good for our economy as we look at how expensive it is to fuel cars. And I think we can even go beyond that at some point. Uh, I made the unfortunate decision when we announced this bipartisan agreement at the press conference to say that this hadn't happened since I was in junior high. I was then followed by two senior members of the United States Senate who said they had worked on the initial gas mileage standard. <laughs> Uh, but that is going to be a piece of this as well as we push for more fuel-efficient cars, research into hybrids, research into electrics, and it's really not that far away. I had lunch with some of the climate change experts three days ago in Washington, and in two years, Chevy is going to come out with the Chevy Volt. A number of these cars give you 30 hours of drive time based on just plugging your car in. And it's not like then it just stops in the middle of Northfield in 10-degree weather. Um, you then would then – converts over to gas and hopefully biofuels as we move to cellulosic ethanol, switchgrass, prairie grass, um, some other forms of ethanol to build on the ethanol that we have now that are higher in energy and uh, better for the environment. Um, the, uh, the other piece of this is to try to encourage other kinds of uh, renewables. And one of the main ways we can do that with electricity is to put this portfolio standard that when I mentioned the 25 percent requirement uh, we haven't been able to get that past the filibuster in the Senate, but we've been trying time and time again a similar, similar standard to Minnesota's. And the other is to make sure we have the tax incentives in place to encourage wind and solar. We have something called the Renewable Production Tax Credit. I just saw my sixth grade teacher, Mr. Yank, out there. Hi, Mr. Yank. Um, and uh, am I doing okay on the science? Okay, good. Thank you. Um, the uh, Renewable Production Tax Credit, which is for geothermal and wind and solar and uh, some of these other things that can, um, and what's been going on in our country while we've been putting a lot of tax incentives in place for the oil companies, with wind and solar, we put them in place and then we yank them a year later. They go, they, they phase out. And the studies have shown that the investment then phases out too about eight months before. So we have a bill with, um, I'm, I have a bill with Senator Snow, uh, the Republican senator from Maine, and Senator Cantwell from Washington, uh, where we're trying uh, to get a longer-term plan in place for something like five years. Uh, the last thing that I would mention um, is just that uh, we need to support education and training initiatives to really prepare America for this next step in these green-collar jobs. Uh, you know, we don't have a lot of oil here in Minnesota, and yet in this country we're spending $600,000 a minute on foreign oil with nothing but escalating gas prices. Uh, so there is so much we can do here, not just for the environment, for jobs in this country, with the idea being that we should be investing uh, in the farmers and the workers of the Midwest instead of the oil cartels of the Mideast. And this is just a picture of some of the uh, renewable standards across the country. So we have taken some steps, which I call a down payment on change, uh, to get where we want to go in Washington. Uh, but there is so much more to do, and that's why I'm excited to hear from your professor and some of the other students about what you've been doing here in St. Olaf, uh, the challenges that we face. And I would just end by inviting all of you uh, to visit our office in Washington. We have the whole state of Minnesota to breakfast every Thursday morning 
from 8.30 to 9.30 when the Senate's in session, if you're on vacation or you're on a school trip. Um, we always serve food from Minnesota. Uh, we've had rosettes from Starbucks. We've had spam puffs from Austin, if you're really lucky. Uh, we always have Petitza from the Iron Range, uh, where my relatives are from. We have two bakeries up in northern Minnesota who are vying for who has the best Petitza. And one day, Senator Harkin, who is like me, Slovenian, and grew up with Petitza, came to visit us, and he decided he wanted to give every member of the United States Senate one of the Petitzas for Christmas. So he called up to the baker. I gave him one of the numbers of the bakers, and he said, I'd like to order 100 Petitzas uh, for every member of the United States Senate. And she said, well, you know it's Christmas, and we're booked. And we don't have... <laughs> We don't have 100 petitas to send to the Senate. And then he said, and he told me the story himself, he said, well, I, I don't know if you know who I am. I'm Senator Harkin from Iowa. And she said, oh, I know who you are, but we're not, we're not going to do that. So luckily we got him the name of another baker. But I tell the story not just as a form of hospitality to invite you to our office, but also because when you go into our office, you'll see a picture on the wall, and it's a picture of someone holding the earth in their hands and the words on there's an angel in the picture and the words say the angel shrugged and she placed the world in the palm of our hands and she said if we fail this time it will be a failure of imagination well I don't believe we're going to fail because I see the ingenuity in this room uh, and on this campus I see the perseverance of people from Starbucks Minnesota who are starting a solar panel factory uh, to the uh, great work that's going on across our state with hydrogen and other things. I see the ingenuity and the determination, but sometimes I think we just need a little more imagination in Washington. So I urge you all to push uh, people in Congress uh, to act on this legislation in June and to continue to work with us to get something done. Thank you very much. Hello. <clears throat> That's a hard act to follow. I usually am the one that gets to show the glacier pictures. I'm a little bit uncomfortable standing up here before you speaking about the work of so many other people and their, and their ideas, but we have just a few minutes and so it just seemed more efficient for to have one person talk about uh, these things, and it sounds like the senator and her staff already have a good idea of a number of the things that we're doing here. St. Olaf has adopted a number of environmental principles to guide us on our journey towards sustainability. These involve, involve virtually all areas of the college, from admissions to the administration, from the classrooms to the cafeteria, from residence halls to research labs, and from land use to landscaping. Uh, they're prevalent throughout all of the, doc the documents that the college produces. About 20 years ago, a number of the members of the faculty started to recognize uh, the value of preserving and restoring a number of the natural lands that surround the central core of the campus. And this, um, this idea was recently adopted by the administration and the Board of Regents uh, in preserving these lands for, for research and for use by our students and for recreation. You've already heard about the wind turbine. Uh, the folks from St. Olaf here know all about this, that it supplies a third of our, of our energy and helps us to reduce our carbon footprint. Uh, our about-to-be-completed science complex called Regents Hall. Um, normally, uh, Dave Van Weyland, our Associate Dean of Natural Sciences and Mathematics, 
talks about this to, uh, to groups and, and gives a good talk that lasts about an hour. Um, but I have just a few minutes here, so I'll just mention a couple of things. That this building embodies leadership in energy and environmental design, the, uh, the characteristics of the lead, the architectural standard. Um, our process right from the, the outset has been comprehensive and intentional. It began more than a decade ago with, with meetings and retreats uh, with members of the faculty to outline the needs of our program and to involve specialists to advise us about state-of-the-art uh, energy and architectural practices. Um, the building will also act as a, as a teacher. As, as one example, energy monitoring of the, of the building will show changes in the energy use as a function of the seasons and even as the weather from day to day, and displays will be available to people who walk through the, uh, the lobby of the building to see these sorts of changes. The green roof um, that was just installed on Thursday, as I understand, just in time for all of the rain, will, but will be one of the only green roofs uh, among buildings that have green roofs that will be accessible to everyone. This um, shows a picture of the building just a, a week or so ago. And I think as, as people are, are starting to hear now, we've, um, the building has received 41 out of 41 possible uh, construction points on the way towards certification for this lead, lead standing. Um, if, we, uh, if we achieve all the points that seem to be possible, this building will be one of the few laboratory buildings in the world that achieves the, the lead platinum standard. Uh, in the area of the curriculum, the environmental studies program has grown from a concentration to a program to a major with now graduating between 12 and 20 uh, people a year. It has tracks in all three areas of the college, uh, in the humanities, in the social sciences, and in the sciences, in the natural sciences. In terms of specific classes, um, we have several here that are, that are focused uh, on climate. And a new one that's started this year by John Shade in the, um, in the biology and environmental studies department uh, is the outgrowth of a grant from the National Science Foundation and its International Polar Year Program focusing on Arctic ecology and climate change. My own course that's been running for several years in global climate change focuses on the science and the policy aspects of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC. And our class project for this, uh, this year is to prepare a briefing for a new senator or congressperson uh, on climate policy. And that's not quite the, fo the forum that we have today. But I see some of the people in the class uh, who are in the audience, and I think they would be very happy to share some of their ideas uh, with the senator. Okay. Um, Jim Farrell's uh, course on campus ecology focuses on our lifestyles, our beliefs, and sustainability. Uh, in this course, students learn about their own ecological footprints, the ideas and institutions and assumptions that constitute what Jim calls the moral ecology of everyday life. Finally, um, in, in terms of research, uh, faculty at the college have received a number of grants, uh, primarily from the National Science Foundation, to do research on climate change. One of those was received recently by John Shade, again, um, a, a project called Polaris, Rising Stars in the Arctic, again from the National Science Foundation uh, International Polar Year. So John, together with a number of other investigators at large research universities, We'll be going with students to the Siberian Arctic this summer to look at transformations um, in, the in the carbon cycle. 
Um, very recently, Charles Umenhauer, also in biology and environmental studies, uh, received a grant uh, on tundra lakes and climate change in, in Manitoba. And you can see Charles and his students out here in the, in the, uh, in the boat collecting sediment cores from the bottom of a lake, and that's what this project will do, um, looking at the past 8,000 years in climate in the subarctic areas, northern part of Manitoba, and the prospects there for um, responding to global warming in the future. Um, as has been mentioned, my, my own work here in, involves remote sensing and geophysical studies of the world's icy regions. Um, and we also, the, the latest funding that we received has been a part of this International Polar Year for a traverse across Antarctica. Um, altogether, over the years, about 75 students have been involved in, in this sort of research in areas from the Arctic uh, to the Antarctic, including um, Storglacieren, which means the large glacier, still there, uh, in, in Arctic Sweden. So I, I think that summarizes um, very, very briefly many of the activities that are ongoing at the college. And I'm going to turn it over next to Alexa, Christian, and Kate. <laughs> OK, um, Senator Klobuchar asked us to come and talk a little bit about student initiatives that address climate change here at St. Olaf. Um, I'm Alexa, this is Kate, and that's Christian. Um, we wanted to start talking about the natural lands, and Bob already covered quite a bit of it. But as you can tell, they're quite beautiful, and they started with a student project um, with a student called Dave uh, Wadeen, who planted uh, uh, various trees and uh, grasses in 1980 for a para-college project. And since then, it's really gained momentum. And what's important about the natural lands is that they help us sequester carbon, um, aside from being very beautiful. Um, again, Bob covered campus ecology, but Kate is actually uh, co-teaching that course right now with Jim. Um, and it's important because it helps us think about the practical idealism of environmentalism and college. And it's really been instrumental in helping students um, think about environmentalism on campus and thinking about the way their behaviors affect climate change. Um, this is a picture of Stogro, our student-run organic farm here on campus. It was started by a student named Dave Burtness in 2004. And this is important because it helps us reduce our carbon footprint by providing local food um, literally on campus that's organic and chemical free. Um, and it also, again, is a teaching opportunity to teach students about how their food affects climate change and carbon. Um, and Bon Appetit buys all the produce from Stogro and has really been instrumental in um, creating this seasonal local food movement on campus. And we actually get some of our beef from a ranch called Thousand Hills Cattle Ranch, which is run by a 1993 St. Olaf graduate who actually uh, majored in theater, ironically enough, um, which provides us with grass-fed beef, which is pretty great. And also this year, um, on Earth Day, we had a low-carbon diet day, again, getting students to think about how food affects climate change. And we also started um, a group called BASC, which is the Bon Appetit Student Coalition, which um, works with Bon Appetit to uh, help promote those carbon reduction initiatives at Bon Appetit and also provide feedback from students to Bon Appetit to continue those efforts. One of the most important tools that we have at St. Olaf for carbon reduction and also for environmental education is our use of ecological design. And probably the most visible example of that right now is Regents Hall. And um, Professor Jacobo talked about it a little bit, but it was also partially a student initiative. 
a senior seminar taught by Professor Charles Umbenhauer came up with a proposal for the Green Building, and it was presented to then President Chris Tomford, and he said that that was a key factor in deciding to continue with the project. And now, um, like J Professor Jacobo mentioned, uh, Professor Umbenhauer is teaching another class, a Green Roof Seminar, and we designed and just are in the process of constructing that on the Science Center. So college students at various colleges in Minnesota, including McAllister and Carleton, have um, introduced um, revolving funds in their campuses. Um, and these funds um, allow for efficient execution of sustainability projects um, and also to promote awareness and hands-on education for the entire community. Um, students at St. Olaf have worked to create a similar fund and they've already obtained over $4,000 from the student government to start this fund. Um, so here's how it works. After receiving initial seed grants from various sources, um, the Clean Energy Revolving Fund, or SURF, um, will be available to, available to finance student proposals for different energy efficiency projects on campus. So students will receive money to install new windows, efficiency appliances, insulation, and residential solar plans on some of the honor houses next year. Um, and that money, the money that's saved from the energy bill then um, goes back into the fund. Um, so the fund will grow and we'll be able to um, support future projects. So the student-led initiative will be self-sustaining as it leads to a more sustainable college. Um, I'd like to thank my friends Kelsey Bauer and Lisa Foster for all the hard work they put into establishing this, this fund and of course also the student government for giving us $4,200 to start it off. <laughs> um, actually our student government decided to implement a new environmental senator starting next year. So there will be a senator um, elected that will um, you know, be responsible for um, making sustainability projects feasible on campus. Um, I'd also like to mention that our currently new elected um, SGA president, um, Wade Hauser, um, ran on an environmental platform pretty much and he was successfully elected on that. Um, he also started a reusable lunch bag program um, which um, reduces the, the paper um, consumption by, by the lunch line where students get a lunch bag, so that'll save trees, and trees, of course, sequester carbon, so. Um, but we haven't only been trying to bring about change on an institutional level, we're also trying to reach out to individuals and trying to connect students to be part of the climate solution. Um, and one of the ways we did that is participating in Focus of the Nation, which, which Amy, of course, already knew about. Um, <laughs> but um, we also, organized the National Campus Energy Challenge. And this was a month-long energy-saving competition between colleges, universities, and high schools across North America. Um, the contest actually started two years ago between St. Olaf and our arch rival across the river, Carleton College. Um, and the, the goal was to um, use school spirit to kind of connect people that usually don't care as much about climate change to, to be part of the solution themselves. So to encourage people to just save energy by Simple things like turning off unused lights, unplugging electric devices, taking shorter showers, air drying their clothes, etc. It really can be easy um, to do. And so then this year, students from St. Olaf and McAllister actually made this a na nationwide event. And we had as many as 94 campuses competing, including one elementary school, three colleges in Canada, and one in Australia. Um, and the winner of the competition, actually, which was um, Mankato State University, if um, I remember correctly. Yuvan Morris, mm -hmm. something with an M, sorry. <laughs> um, they reduced 30% of their energy reduction, or uh, energy consumption, um, com compared to the previous three years. 
So by simple behavioral changes, you can really make a, um, bring about big change. St. Olaf didn't um, do so well this year because we had a science center construction was actually sewed up on our energy bill. But still, um, we consumed about as much energy as last year, which means that we, we made up for the construction of a science center by simple behavioral changes, approximately. Um, <laughs> So um, through our work with these kind of national initiatives, we've began connecting to students from other colleges as well. And um, various students from St. Olaf were founding members of the Trans-Campus Energy Action Movement in Minnesota, or Team Minnesota, which is a statewide network of environmental activists. And we've been collaborating on issues such as National Campus Energy Challenge, but also contacting our elected officials and drafting a youth policy vision for the future. Um, so we're really active in sharing resources and, and letting our voice heard. And we really believe that we can't expect the government alone to solve the climate crisis. We think that every change from the top down has to be com complemented by and even driven by a change from the bottom up. So we've started this strong grassroots group and we'll continue to do that. And then of course, um, Amy also mentioned uh, our little visit at, at PowerShift. This, these are pictures of Amy. Um, <laughs> It, it really was a fun day. You know, we, we handed her this, this green jobs helmet. It was kind of a symbol for creating green jobs. And students from other um, states saw it and started chanting. And so everyone was cheering. And senators stepped out of their office buildings. So it was really fun. So I just want to remind you, Senator Klobuchar, that you do have our support. We are behind you. And we, we want you to continue to be a leader in Washington when it comes to climate change. Okay, as we move forward, there are other projects that are in the works. One of them that we're looking at is um, establishing carbon offsets for our study abroad programs. And this is really important because as always, a lot of us travel, and air travel is a huge, um, leaves a huge carbon footprint, footprint. So we're hoping that by buying these offsets, we can reduce our carbon footprint and maintain our global perspective, which is integral to our mission statement. Uh, recently, some members of the Environmental Coalition started a new group called the Campus Sustainability Coalition with the goal in mind to do a um, wide-reaching assessment of the campus to look at different projects and see what will have the most impact and what, what the best timeline for these projects would be. And as we do more and more work here at St. Olaf to reduce our carbon and with other environmental initiatives, we find that more students are coming to St. Olaf um, to study and work on these projects. And that's really exciting because with every new class, that means that we're getting people with new and fresh ideas. Um, all of these possibilities are important and they give us great hope for our college and society. However, no matter how hard we work at the institutional level, we will not be able to bring an end to the environmental crisis we face without the support of new and innovative policy at all levels of government. For this reason, we want to thank you, Senator Klobuchar, for being here today to hear our work and for the good work that you are doing in Washington. The American Renewable Energy Act is an important step, and we as young voters and college students want to thank you for your creativity in this policy. We applaud your inclusion of tax credits for wind and other renewable energy production, and we were excited to see the promotion of cellulosic ethanol in the bill. As we move forward to meet important carbon reduction goals, we would like to present to you our vision of the future of carbon reducing policy. We believe that these issues should be framed in the context of future generations, both ours and our children's. We have now received a huge debt from our country. There is the monetary debt from the war in Iraq, an even greater debt of the environmental legacy that has been left, that has left the world increasingly unstable. We are eager to work towards solutions to these problems, and we are hopeful, but we need the help of policymakers now. 
We feel so lucky to have a senator like you in office, and we ask that you expand your goals. It is clear that we need to be aggressive to make necessary changes now before it is too late. This means reaching the necessary goal of 80% reduction by 2050. We also believe that coal production is never completely clean and that, and that the mining of coal is detrimental to the environment. We believe that the continuation of coal burning, regardless of the possibility of carbon sequestration, is unacceptable and unfair to future generations. We would like to see the removal of all tax breaks for coal. We would also like to see other tax incentives, subsidies, and taxes that make it easy for people, institutions, and businesses to make better environmental choices. As Senator Klobuchar already mentioned, green jobs will happen, and we're ready for them when we graduate. This vision was developed by a number of environmental leaders at St. Olaf in collaboration with students from across the nation, and we would like to thank them for their care and input. Again, Senator Klobuchar, we would like to thank you for the work that you're doing in Washington. We are very excited and hopeful about it, and we thank you for listening to us talk about our environmental initiatives at St. Olaf. We'd like to leave everyone with the reminder that a, college that a college that wants to remain relevant to its students will teach all of them how to be good leaders in the ecological transition of this century. Sustainability is the art of ever after, the art of assuring that people in the future will have what they need to lead fulfilling lives. Thank you. We'd also like to present you with your very own tree-free lunch bag with some <laughs> books and information from various staff members, faculty, and students in the college. So, thank you for coming. Okay, thank you. Appreciate it. Friends, the senator has two other places to be yet this afternoon, uh, so we have time for a couple of uh, questions. So here, who has the first one? Questions, comments, encouragements? I have a question for Senator Klobuchar. I was wondering what do you think about our suggestion to put a strict moratorium on coal, given the fact that mining still causes severe environmental problems and the technology to sequester carbon is still not there yet. Shouldn't we invest federal funds and subsidize technologies that we know are clean? Well, of course I do with I uh, went through today, I do support uh, alternatives to coal and think that should be our first focus is on renewables and not just wind and solar, uh, geothermal, uh, all kinds of uh, biofuels, there's all kinds of possibilities. I don't think we're going to uh, stop coal right now. It supplies a lot of our energy needs. I think the argument is the answer is to do a transition and to, I, I, I disagree with you on one thing, I think we still have to explore technologies. Uh, with sequestration and those kinds of things and invest in that. I think we have to be realistic um, about what's going on in this country right now and that we should, if we do any more coal, it should be a different kind of coal. But the, the key thing is to try to uh, transition uh, and to use the best technology. And I, I don't think we've been developing that as much as we could. Thank you for that question. Another question or comment? John. I don't really do well with microphones, but um, 
This is really, first of all, I want to make one comment. I want to really commend the three students for doing just a fantastic presentation. Uh, we're really, really proud of you. Uh, for Senator Klobuchar, and I suspect the rest of you will have something to say about this too. Um, I'm a scientist, uh, but I wonder sometimes about the limits of science and technology and our ability to solve this problem. Um, I think I, the thing that worries me is that uh, legislation often focuses on, you know, this, this idea of the space race, that we need more science, we need more thinking about technology. In our ES program, we made a decision. We, I wasn't here. Uh, his colleagues made a decision to include humanities and social science in that program. And one thing that I've learned, and I've been teaching the intro class and the senior seminar now, so I'm seeing them at both ends, um, is what I'm learning from the students is that there's a limit to what scientists can really tell us about the solutions. And policy is really important, and art is really important. That from them. And my question is, uh, finally, um, in the legislation and in the way that you work on this politically, how much is in there to encourage policy initiatives from students, uh, to encourage art programs and environmental education programs for young people, and those kind of things versus technology development as the way to solve this problem. The long-term solution is going to require a change in the way we think, and I, I just hope that that's in there when you guys talk about policy. Well, thank you. And I didn't mention there's this bill we passed called the America Competes Act. Uh, that puts a lot more funding into education, especially at the K through 12 letter, level uh, for science and math and trying to uh, get people motivated uh, to teach in this area and to be updated themselves uh, so that they can do a better job. And I think that's a piece of it. I just wanted to add a little thing that I should have mentioned before is that we actually in our office have started this Carbon Buster Award. Uh, that we've given to, we gave it to Quality Bike Parts in Bloomington. They have an amazing green building where they have everything from biodegradable spoons that are great, except if you try to eat soup with them, they kind of like, <laughs> you can start to eat them, uh, to the largest number of solar panels in the state, uh, to uh, high school students that we gave the award to just a few months ago. And now we have a college competition going on. I think the deadline's May 8th. It might be extended for a few weeks if someone's interested in submitting something, but Jake back there uh, is the one you should uh, talk to. So we've tried to encourage this. The whole green building, the LEED certification, all of those things are developed to try to set sort of gold standards, and we need to do the same thing with education. I don't know if you wanted to add anything more, Professor. Okay. Needs a man a few words. To those of you who are joining us, um via streaming. Thank you for joining us from your remote locations. Friends, thank you who came from this local location to be part of this conversation. Senator Klobuchar, thank you so much. Come and visit us again. Well, to all a great of our time. Thank you, everyone, for coming. To, to all of our speakers, thank you. Thanks to you guys, too.